0: Let's pray. Father, I just offer this time uh, of uh, your word to you, that you would use it, uh, that you would use it to uh, enlighten, to convict, whatever it is that uh, someone needs in their heart. Lord, I just pray now that you would take this time and to, uh, to have your way. So we offer it to you in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what sort of a father you had or have, but uh, I had one that did not back down from a challenge, which was a good thing, because he was widowed in his 30s and left with a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And so my dad definitely did not have it easy. Uh, He eventually found someone to take care of us during the day so he could go to work, But, you know, he still had to shoulder this load of being both a mother and a father, you know, to these two growing boys. And so, um, you know, my dad was pretty naturally strict. Um, And so he did not have that kinder, gentler voice of a mother, you know, that would tell him that killing us and telling Jesus we died wasn't a good option most of the time. (laughs) So, you know, he sort of erred on the side of more rather than less discipline, right? Um, Congratulations for a job well done, if they were there at all, were pretty short-lived. And he was more interested in the next test or the next grade or the next report card. And I, I mean, I know that he loved me, but it just was never verbalized or shown in any way. he was an accountant and, of course, a tax accountant primarily. And so, starting in January till April 15th, obviously, was really his busy time of the year. You know, their whole firm did a lot of these things. And so, that was, he worked nights, usually three or four nights a week and Saturdays. But he made sure that he came to as many of my uh, high school basketball games as he could. Uh, was almost always there in the stands. But, you know, growing up, we never really talked about things. Um, yes, I did get the talk, <laughs> you know, the one where you're, you sit there horribly embarrassed, trying to keep from giggling while you pray silently for it to be over as quickly as possible. But you know, as far as stuff that, that really mattered, uh, what was going on at school, life, you know, just in general girls in dating, or even faith, um, that those conversations just didn't happen. I never really can remember, you know, maybe other than a couple of occasions hugging him. You know, I don't really recall that he said, I love you. I you mean, know, and I think in large measure that was part of the generation. You know, that was a generational issue that um, fathers just weren't supposed to show affection or really even a whole lot of emotion. Now, <clears throat> I tell you this because today we're going to be talking about the, the love of the Heavenly Father. And if a, fo- if a father's love is a foreign concept for you, then I, I really wanted you to know that I'm someone who, who understands or c- who could relate to that. But I also want you to know this. I think I was able to be a little bit better in this area with my own children. We talk frequently, we hug frequently, and I tell them I love them all the time. And I believe that a big reason for that, for for having that change, is that I learned what the love of the Father really looks like and what it's supposed to be as I grew in my faith and knowledge as a Christian. And so that can be the same for you and hopefully um, as we explore this today we will uh, we'll reveal a bit of that. So uh, once again I'm going to read from our devotional that we've been using for this sermon series. Um, if you'd like to follow along fine, otherwise uh, just sit back and listen. His bank account is close to empty and his small business is barely surviving. He lives one month away from his resources disappearing and the stress is beginning to show itself in the aches and pains in his chest. Nothing seems to be going right and deep down his lifelong confidence in his own capacity to fix tough situations is quietly eroding. A great wave of loneliness overwhelms him one night even though he has a wife and children. He's beside himself like a distraught toddler who just needs someone to pick him up and hold him. He hears the words of his bitter, late father in his head, still repeating, you'll never amount to anything, you're worthless. He lies to his wife that he's going out on a business call. In the wee hours of the morning, he can't see a way forward in his circumstances, and in utter despair takes his own life. This man, like us, at times, has a fearful heart. The tragic story repeats itself time and time again across the world with teenagers and adults every day. Have you ever felt the soul sickness of sheer despair crippling you, telling you that there's no way out and no way forward? Have you heard a voice in your head relentlessly nagging, declaring, that the challenge that's in front of you is impossible to surmount. While you may have never tasted that degree of bewildering fear, we all know the specter of looming failure hovering before us, and the inner voice telling us we will surely fail. There is a way that seems right, the scripture says, but it only ends in death. From the book of Proverbs 14, 12. Then in another place also in Proverbs we hear this in their human hearts plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps Proverbs 16:19 Christmas is God saying there is a new way for you to go and it runs through the heart of my fatherly love for you Jesus is that way Don't wait for a financial miracle such as winning the lottery or a relational connection you know just making that one right contact with someone or some employment opportunity such as the perfect job to set your path Jesus says I am your way intimacy with me is the path to hope in your journey and I lead you to the love and approval of the Father. As you draw near to me, I will guide your steps, show you my loving way forward, and fill you with a deep sense of your Father God's promises for you. Maybe right now you are wandering in your calling because you can't hear the voice of Father God. had a heart attack or something. Let's try that again. Maybe right now you are wandering in your calling because you can't hear the voice of Father God approving of you and calling you forward. Some call it the drift. We lose our way because of apathy, the desire to skip struggle and get rich quick, or because of a simple lack of awareness that God loves us and has a design for our lives. The fact is sometimes God's way of doing something takes too long and we want to speed up the process. Think King Saul here. Then when our way fails, a looming wall of fear appears suddenly around us, trapping us on every side. But God does have a plan for your life. And the coming of Jesus at Christmas is his declaration, hold the course. My way is the best way. Know my love for you and you will arrive at your destination. We'll always come back to God's way, his presence, his words, his model for living as being the best way and living in the way of Jesus is the only way we will ultimately get through our circumstances to God's preferred future for us. Our Christmas promise is true. There is always a way forward because Jesus breaks through all obstacles that keep your heart walled in with fear. He is your way forward, your way to the Father's heart for you. Now, the scripture that we're looking at today is uh, another one based from John's gospel. And it's John 14, 6, which says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it's probably fair to ask, "Well, why did the disciples whom Jesus is talking to in this little section of scripture, why did they need all of this talk about trusting him? Why do we need it? Well, I think it's probably for the same reason in both cases. It's because we don't know Jesus well enough. And since we don't know Jesus well enough, then we really have to, it's a struggle for us to understand who the Father is. Because Jesus over and over and over again in Scripture, emphasized this link between the Father and the Son. But right up until the end, the disciples still didn't really get it. And we struggle with the same concept too, so I don't think we can just go point at them and call them dense. You know, this particular passage is one of those places in Scripture that would be really good if we had an audio recording of it. You know, so we could kind of understand, okay, what was Thomas's tone of voice like when he asks this question, which is what Jesus is answering here. You know, is, is he skeptical? Is he pessimistic? Is he just a negative thinker? You know, it, it would appear that that's the case, but you know, you still have to sort of admire his openness and his authenticity. You know, he was never afraid to ask, these questions that, you know, to many may have seemed obvious, but he wanted to know, he wanted to know. And so the impact of Jesus' answer echoes through the centuries right into our present hour. He embodies the way to God, the truth about God and life in God. And if the disciples really knew him as they should if we really knew him as we should. We would understand the inseparability between the Father and the Son. So let's look at just a few uh, uh, points that we could make out of this whole idea of uh, this connection between the Father and the Son. The first one is that Christ is the way to experience the Father's love. Christ is the way to experience the Father's love. At a men's retreat, a group of 30 to 40 men of all ages sat in a room sharing joys and deep aches of the soul. A young man named Jason sat in his chair, face buried in his hand, his head occasionally rising to gasp a breath as he sobbed. Why didn't he want me? I don't understand why my dad didn't want me. Why didn't he want me, man? What's wrong with me?" None of the other men in the room had an answer to his question. But most knew the problem. Young Jason was crying out for the acceptance and the affirmation of his father. He was saying, am I such a defect that I am unlovable as a son and as a man? Well, what happened next? was absolutely beautiful and totally unscripted. Phil, an older man in the group, got out of his seat and walked straight over to Jason. He embraced him and in a loud voice said to him, Jason, I'll be your dad and you'll be my son. From that day forward, Phil was involved in Jason's life as a surrogate father. Their relationship with one another deepened as the years passed. Although Phil didn't pay for Jason's college tuition or his room and board, he was present to pray with him, take him to lunch, listen to the struggles that he was facing, and share his life's wisdom with him. During one of his his last conversations before he died, Phil talked about his relationship with Jason at one point he lifted his head and with a passionate conviction said, you know Jason is my son. Phil became a tangible expression of our Heavenly Father's love for a young man who felt unwanted and unworthy of his natural father's love. Now, it would be great if everybody who was like Jason and and who missed out on this love of an earthly father could find somebody like Phil. But the reality is that's that's unlikely to happen. But the other reality is that you really don't need it. See, we have this book that proclaims over and over God's love for us. The word love appears, this is the English standard and it's pretty much the same, it appears in in scripture roughly 675 times. Just a few, Deuteronomy 10, 15. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. First Chronicles 1634, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 136 mentions this particular line 26 times. Psalm 17, seven, show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Psalm 36, seven, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Unfailing love shows up in the Psalms um, 33 times. Joel 2, 13, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Then, of course, the verse everyone knows, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Can I just take a moment here and talk about life groups as it relates to this? See. Being a part of a life group sometimes means laying down your life. And I don't mean in the sense that you, you know, throw yourself in front of a car or um, do that. But, you know, when you really think about it, sometimes laying down your life could be described as setting aside your life. Maybe it it could also be interpreted as, as setting aside or laying down the things that you want and spending a little bit more time with other people, loving and serving them and and being someone that's there not for yourself but for someone else. And see that's what life groups give us the opportunity to do. It gives us this opportunity to put love into action and yeah it is a sacrifice. You know, there are certainly times when, you know, every one of us is busy and we just don't think we can make it tonight and, you know, we can come up with a hundred excuses. But are any of them really that good? When you're talking about, you know, taking an hour to an hour and a half, maybe two, (laughs) on one evening a week. And even if you don't need it, Think about the love and support that you can provide to someone else who's, who is in attendance that night who may really need it. You know, this may be the one time that you have to touch someone. And so this idea of, you know, of the, the love of the Father becoming real happens in these groups. That's why we talk about them so much. That's why we're so uh, in favor of people sort of connecting that way so that you have that that opportunity to experience God's love for yourself in a very real way. End of commercial. John 16, 27. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and I have believed and have believed that I came from God. And then perhaps one of my favorite verses, well, it is one of my favorite verses. Romans 8, 35 uh, through uh, 38, 39, actually. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See, the love of the Father is right here. And sometimes we just don't get it. And so you almost want to take this and just like, you know, somehow see if you can beat it into yourself. But you don't have to go to that extreme. All you have to do is read it. Just read it. It's there. 675 times it's there. So read his book and take seriously your participation in the body of Christ. However that is, whether it's, you know, part of it is staying for lunch today. That's just another expression of the love of God, right? And and life groups are the same. Yes, we, you know, we study scripture, but that's kind of a side benefit, I think. I mean, I think the real meat of that is just the fact that you get together with other people that love you and care for you. And if you're not there, they're going to call and try to find out what's going on. Why'd you miss tonight? not out of condemnation, out of concern and love. Point number two, Christ is the way to experience a fearless heart. See this arena of fear is one of the great battlegrounds of the human heart. The Bible says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, fear and love are mutually exclusive. That's what this is saying. And so if we're afraid that God's gonna punish us somehow, then we can't really be aware of the fullness of of his everlasting love. See, that's, that's part of the problem that we have. Oftentimes we transfer this model of parenthood that we experienced as children and we put that on God. So if our parents withheld love as a means of conditioning or disciplining us, or if we've never had the security of knowing that nothing could shake their love, we can easily regard God with this combination of fear and gratitude, you know, kind of always wondering Okay, when's the the blow going to fall? But that's not love. How many Christians get caught up in this whole web of fear thing? You know, often they're the most sensitive and lonely people, but they live in anticipation of some calamity being visited upon them as judgment. And so, you know, and maybe they think, well, you know, because I'm not making a whole lot of progress spiritually that there's going to be some sort of retribution from God. And so the end result is that it paralyzes us. They just sit back and imagine that God's waiting with this big stick to beat them every time they fail. It's funny, but it's the truth. And so they they just precondition themselves to think that way. And so, you know, not surprisingly, the devil is all too ready just to pile on with, you know, more accusations and whispers that, you know, you can't expect God to spend any more time on such a hopeless, useless person. Perhaps you're not even really a Christian at all. the God who is love wants his children to have confidence we need to have this kind of complete confidence in Jesus who is God's son I mean he shed his blood for our forgiveness and so that we could call God father and know that we're fully accepted See, punishment is quite foreign to someone who is forgiven and loved. There's nothing to punish. So as the Amplified New Testament beautifully expresses it, the perfect love of God in Christ turns fear out of doors and expels every kind of terror. When we are in Christ, we are as he is. Do you think Jesus cringes in terror before the Father? No, that's silly. Then humbly but sincerely, we can share his boldness, his confidence, his freedom of speech. He has loved us with an everlasting love, says Jeremiah, which will never let us down and never let us go. And so, if we're always afraid of what the Father is going to do to us, then we can't really love him. And if we don't love him, it's because we don't believe that he really loves us. Christ is the way to experience a destined life. Jake Porter was 17 years old and a member of the Northwest High football team in McDermott, Ohio. He was born with chromosomal fragile X syndrome, a common cause of mental retardation. He couldn't read, he could barely write his name, but he loved football and he faithfully attended every practice Northwest coach Dave France wanted to do something special for Jake. So before their game against Waverly High School in the fall of 2002, France called his friend, Derek DeWitt, who was the head coach of Waverly. France suggested that both teams allow Jake to run one play at the end of the game, assuming that the game wasn't on the line. Jake would get the ball and take a knee and the game would end. So, the day of the game comes and Waverly is leading 42 to nothing. And there's five seconds left in the game. So, Franz calls a timeout, Jake trots into the huddle, and the two coaches actually came and met at midfield. Fans could see they were having a disagreement. DeWitt was shaking his head and waving his arms. He's the coach of the opposing team. After a ref stepped in, play resumed, and Jake got the ball. He started to genuflect, as he practiced all week. But his teammate stopped him and told him to run. But he started running in the wrong direction. So the back judge rerouted him towards the line of scrimmage. Suddenly, the Waverly defense parted like peasants for the king and urged him to go on <coughs> his grinning sprint to the end zone. Imagine having 21 teammates on the field. In the stands, mothers cried and fathers roared. Players on both sidelines held their helmets to the sky and cheered. Apparently, when the coaches met before the big play, France had reminded DeWitt of the plan that Jake would simply take a knee. But DeWitt wasn't satisfied. He said, no, I want him to score. France objected, but DeWitt insisted. DeWitt called his defense over and said, they're going to give the ball to number 45. Do not touch him. Open a hole and let him score. Do you understand? Jake had the run of his life, scoring the touchdown heard around the world. You can actually see it on YouTube if you want to go out and look. And it was all because of Coach DeWitt's unselfish decision that I want him to score. See like this coach, God has got high purposes for each one of us. God doesn't want us to just get the ball and take a knee. He wants us to score a touchdown. Now undoubtedly there's a few of you here that are sitting there thinking well, you know that's that's kind of a corny story and that's it's almost too good to be true and it's sort of an overly simplistic representation of God's love and if you're thinking that you're right but it doesn't make it any less true that this example as a representation of God's love Is absolutely, positively, 100% true. God saved you from something, but he also saved you for something. Each of us has a destiny, something that we were created for. You may be able to make a living at it, or you may not. Maybe it just becomes an avocation something that you do that gives you fulfillment because it's what you were truly made for. You know, it's great if you can find the job that sort of fills that need, but we all can't, or at least we can't and still pay the bills. But once you're able to find that thing, you will experience a sense of fulfillment beyond anything that you've ever experienced before. And so as we close this today, I just want to uh, remind all of us to to really pray, you know, this week and you know, as long as God moves you to, whether it's just through Advent or uh, through the rest of the year, to pray for those who are who have fear in their lives who are afraid and pray that they can come to this point of radical trust reckless even and so today receive this blessing of Jesus God's love expressed to you at Christmas and embrace his way forward in your journey Let the Father's love heal your fearful heart with his approval and welcome his better path. So if you wanted to take this, you know, the the crux of this message outside these walls into your lives, let me give you some ideas of how to do that. Just consider how is Jesus as your way the answer to each one of the obstacles that you face right now. You could perhaps divide a page into a couple of sections. On the left side, you could write down what your earthly father said about you, thought about you. And on the right, write down what God says about you. And then pray through each statement and ask God to kind of rescript. Your thinking to rescript your mind with the way God thinks of you, not anything else. So let's stand. I would ask uh, folks who uh, have been released to pray to come forward. Prayer for something, you know. Please, come talk to one of these folks. We, you know, they they spend their own time uh, several hours each week studying, you know, how to pray and, and how to pray effectively for people, and and practicing and gaining in boldness. And so, you know, we don't do this just because. Well, yeah, if you're in church, you're supposed to pray for people. No. We do it because we believe it can change your life. And so if, if there's a need, whatever it might be, you know, anything from a headache to you know, an issue at work, I mean, all of those things are fair game. So come and, and, and talk to one of these folks and let them uh, share that burden with you. And I would also remind you, if although I'm not sure everyone needs reminding, but we have a big meal across the hall right after this. So, uh, you know, please stick around and join us for lunch. We would uh, love for everybody to stay. Uh, I would imagine there's more than enough <laughs> for everybody. Okay. Well, that means people just have to stay here and get prayer. <laughs> so, I guess at about 11.35 we can go over. So, so let's let's pray for dismissal and then we can just kind of hang out and Uh, enjoy each other for a while before we eat. So Lord God, I thank you for this message and I thank you for the love that is, is so abundant in your word and in our lives, or can be in our lives, if we would only choose to believe that. Lord, we all struggle with this from time to time. Our humanness sort of gets a hold of us and drags us back into the world, even though at our heart level we know better. And we feel alone and forsaken and unloved. And so, Lord, I pray that this message today would help those who find themselves in that place, either now or maybe at some point in the future. So, Father, let these words truly penetrate today. let all of us who may never have really understood this concept of the abundant love of the Father really get it and then hang on to it through the bad times as well as the good. So Father, I pray a a blessing now on each person here. Just thank you for them. Thank you for their lives and their presence here. I ask that you bless each one with uh, with joy and peace, that they would not allow this season of busyness to to steal that from them. Bless them all until we have the chance to be together again. We love you, and we praise and honor you, and we do all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.